Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Church, why don't you take a seat? Great to be in the house of God with you tonight. Hey, if we haven't uh, met before, my name's Mike, one of the pastors here. Good to be with you tonight. Online church, there you are. Hey there. Good to be with you too. Uh, Hope you are ready to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why we come here. We don't gather here just to do something on a Sunday because we can't think of something better to do, amen? We come here because we want to gather together in unity as one church by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear the word proclaimed, to praise, to give honour and glory to God as it's due. We sit under that, amen? There's something happening when you gather here. Just want to remind you of that. We don't gather here for no reason. All right. We're kicking off this new series, The Power of Encounter. Pretty much every year we do The Power of Encounter, or I call it something else, but it's really still The Power of Encounter because I just like speaking about the Holy Spirit in winter. I just think there's something about it. We get, a bit, we get a bit lackadaisical winter. There's clouds and we get sad because we're so used to like 50 degrees and burning in Adelaide. And as soon as it gets to like 19 degrees, we're like, oh, what is happening? And put a puffer jacket on. And mine's right there. So go, don't get me wrong. No judgment. I understand this pain. But every winter, I just think it's so important that we realign ourselves with the fact that our God is alive and He is longing to move in us today. And He has poured out His mercy on us. If I start talking anymore, I'm going to step on all the points I want to make. So I'm not going to do it. But the focus of this year's series, The Power of Encounter, is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And particularly, a few of the more misunderstood gifts or a few of the gifts that we like to tread lightly around. We're real here at Encounter Church. Bible-fed, spirit-led, holding together. But what we want to do is is offer, hopefully as a gift and not a curse, uh, teaching on these difficult areas so that we can get a sense of like, oh, that's what the Bible's trying to say. Because how many of us have read the Bible at one time or another and gone, I know I'm meant to read this, but I don't really know what's going on right now. Yeah, I see that hand from a pastor who will remain nameless and others. Um, It's real. It's real, right? So we want to talk about that. So Pastor Barry is going to come and talk about healing and lead us in some healing prayer next week, which is going to be wonderful. And then we're talking about tongues and prophecy in the coming weeks. We're going to have a lot of fun. But I, wanted, I felt convicted that before we talk about that, I had another topic and then I was praying about it. I was like, I actually think we need to talk about being filled with the Spirit before we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Right? We need to understand what it, what it means to have the Spirit of God in us before we try and use anything with it. There's this fascinating passage in uh, the book of Acts where the disciples are performing miracles and this sorcerer this, um, comes along and he sees what's happening. And he's like, yo, can I buy this power, please? And the disciples are like, you better repent in a hurry. This is not something you can purchase, the power of God. The power of God is a gift given by, those, given by God to those who have uh, of a living relationship with Jesus. Amen. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful with what we are dealing with. The Holy Spirit, the least understood member of the Trinity. People sort of get God the Father. All right. Yep. Father-child relationship. I get that idea. Jesus. Okay. Yep. He lived among us. I get that part. Holy Spirit, a bit more ethereal, a bit harder to understand. Also, sometimes we keep, see people that are kind of like very Holy Spirit-led and they weird us out a bit, like Jeremy. And like, there's, there's always someone in the room and we're like, oh, 
They seem like they're really into the Holy Spirit and I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, let's be honest, I'm that person in this room, but I, like, I can't point to me in the same way. Um, but understanding what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is integral to being a Christian, okay? Because when you miss out on being filled with the Spirit of God, you actually miss out on a truly beautiful, powerful part of following Jesus in your life. Being a Christian and not being filled with the Spirit would be like making a New Year's resolution and not bothering to keep it. Be like starting a, buying a gym membership and then not going to the gym. It would be like buying a single-use home appliance, like a donut maker or a fairy floss machine or a popcorn maker, and then using it one time and then wondering why you bought it in the first place. It'd be like, none of, nobody in this room has done that, I know. None of those things. It would be like if your wife bought a foot spa and then used it once when she got it and then used it one other time when you told her she wasn't using the foot spa and then never used it again and then got increasingly annoyed at how smug you were getting because she didn't use the foot spa. Hypothetically, it'd be like that. This is what it's like. Not pursuing a life filled with the Spirit is like living on mute. It's like living in grayscale. Like, why are we doing it? Henry David Thoreau, in his essay, Civil Disobedience, he wrote this, that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Let me read that one more time. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. That is the Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can do it, but why would you? Why would you want to? So let's look at how to avoid quiet desperation by desperately pursuing the Holy Spirit's presence. Tonight's teaching text is from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to read it with me, but I think it will be on the screen as well. And we'll really be going across Acts 3 and 4, but it's a narrative that all comes together. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognised that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Right, let me, let me get technical just for a minute. For those who call themselves Christian already, there has been a moment in your life, you may have pinpointed it with a decision or it may have just kind of happened, where you've crossed over a line from unbelief to belief, right? Where even if you look back and you're like, wait, I believe in Jesus, when did that happen? Uh, you don't know the exact date, that happens. Or you might feel like you've kind of grown up a Christian, but at some point you took it and said, this is mine. This, is, this, this belongs to me. I follow Jesus. It's not something I've inherited. Okay. When this happens, when we are saved by Jesus, the Bible says we are baptised in the Spirit. Baptised in the Spirit. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, that we were all baptised by one Spirit. Not some of us, sometimes, all of us. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is God placing some of His Spirit in us, effectively as a deposit of what is to come. What Paul calls in Galatians 1, the down payment of our inheritance in God, right? It's like God going, ah, oh, yeah, she's one of mine. 
It's a bit of the Holy Spirit there. Yep, he's one of mine, a bit of the Holy Spirit. Right. It's a little down payment. That's the baptism of the Spirit. And this initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens one time through your whole life, one time, causes conviction about our old life, or it should, if it's happened properly, because it calls us to leave an old life behind and embrace a new life. This is the sort of stuff that happens. It usually consists of a confession of sin where you recognise this is the stuff I've done that is against the will and wisdom of God. And, and so you say that out loud to somebody, maybe just to God, hopefully to another believer. A call to repentance, which is when we turn around, turn away from our old life towards the new one. A commitment to God and a heightened sense of faith and expectation that God will do extraordinary things. That's what happens when you have that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that little deposit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed, if you've been around new Christians before, how new Christians operate like children? I don't mean in that like they're like pastor's children who come in late and then just storm through to kids' ministry like that. (laughs) But like nicely behaved children. New Christians behave like children. They have a childlike expectation that God's just going to be there and do stuff. Like, oh yeah, I was talking to God today and God said this to me and then we did... If you've ever been in those conversations being like, oh, that is, that's very cool, great stuff. And um, just to be clear, I say that as a compliment, right? Because Jesus told us to approach him like a child. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Only those that approach me like a child can inherit the kingdom of God. But do you know what happens with children? They grow up. And if you're, if you're a parent in this room with a baby or a toddler, which is many of you, perhaps even more in online church, I'm not sure how sick kids are going this week. If you are in that stage of life, it may feel like they will never grow up. They will, I promise, this too shall pass. But when it comes, they become wiser and more mature. And in this process, they tend to lose their innocence because we all become a bit cynical as we get older. It's a very natural part of ageing and experiencing the hurt of the world. But Jesus, in his wisdom, challenged his disciples, which now, if you believe in Jesus, includes you. He challenged them to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Wisdom and innocence, not cynicism and naivety. Hear that. Not, not I'm going to be a cynic on one hand and not trust anything. And on the other hand, I'm so wide-eyed that I walk into any trap. No, no, no. To have both a sense of wisdom and innocence about the world around them. To be conscious that the world can be a dangerous place to navigate. But at the same time, an innocence that says, God is for me and with me through every part of that navigation. Amen? That is the call on our life. But we struggle to do that as we get older. And church, this is one of the reasons we need to be filled with the Spirit. Pastor John Tyson says this, that older Christians often look at younger Christians and say to each other knowingly, they'll lose their passion when they get older. But what they really mean is, I lost my passion when I got older. Oof. That's what happens. We need to steward that passion by being stewarding the sense of being filled with the Spirit. We need, church, again and again to be crying out, Lord, fill me with your Spirit afresh. Because being filled with the Spirit is different to being baptised with the Spirit. It's like just having a little deposit of water in the bottom of your drink bottle that isn't quite finished, and you go and fill it again, fill it again, fill it again. Well, I mean, that's the point of a drink bottle, right? You're going to empty it and fill it, empty it and fill it. That's what it's like being filled with the Spirit. We leak as Christians. The Holy Spirit tends to... It feels like, at least to us, that it drains out of us, that he drains out of us after a long week. Now, of course, you know, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But we're crying out for God's manifest presence with us. And the reason we should do that is because being saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ is what gives us life. 
but it is being filled with the Spirit to make that life worth living. It is what makes that life worth spending. It's that John 10.10 life, life in abundance, life to the full, life in excess. The Christian life, friends, is not about accepting a theological truth and then getting through until you die. The Christian life is about inviting the Spirit of God to fill you again and again because we cannot do it on our own. And we recognise that so that the life we live is full of wisdom and innocence and joy and meaning, a life that transforms not just you, but the world around you as the Kingdom of God bursts forth through you by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's the vision of God for your life. Heaven on earth is only going to come when heaven invades earth. And every time we pray to be filled with the Spirit, it is heaven invading our earthly bodies in that moment. God's manifest presence filling us. And if you've experienced it before, you know that it is such a worthy thing to pursue, such a beautiful moment to have. It is the manifest presence of God filling a space, shaking a room. It's when we see deliverances, when we see healings, when we see spontaneous baptisms, when we see the gifts of the Spirit breaking out, when we see salvations taking place, rededications, broken hearts, people being brought back together by the grace of God, the great reconciler drawing people together that never could be before. We see forgiveness bursting forth. We see chains falling off. All this happens when the Spirit of God comes in power. That's what we crave in our lives. That church is the life I want. Isn't that the life you really want? Not quiet desperation, but spirit-filled purpose. I don't want to live a life that's not quiet desperation. I can do something else if I'm going to do that. The spirit-filled life, friends, is the life you've truly always wanted. So what does it actually look like to be filled with the Spirit? I've got three ways I want to talk about. Only three tonight, because I like you guys. Notebooks and pens out if you're that kind of people, because you're the best kind of people. All right, spirit-filled life. Number one, carry spiritual gifts. This is not, by the way, intended to be, this is everything that spirit-filled life carries, right? That's a series, not a sermon. But from this passage, there are three important things that we need to draw out. Number one, the spirit-filled life carries spiritual gifts. We receive and use God's good spiritual gifts, not just the practical ones like woodworking or being a chef or latte art, the important things. His spiritual gifts. In Acts 1, as Jesus is preparing the apostles for his ascension to heaven, he says that you will receive what when the Holy Spirit? Very good. Preached at Journey this morning. They had to go twice before they got the right word. Journey, if you're watching online, I don't know, go to your own church. But I love you guys, but first time here at Encounter Church. Come on. You will receive... Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what happened at Pentecost. That's what's available to us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of God is now in the people of God. That's where He resides. You are His living temple. And so in this Acts 3 passage, Peter and John use that power, the supernatural healing power of God. Verse 3, when he, this is the beggar, saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Better than a few dollars. 
This is the first event that we see Peter and John involved in since Pentecost. So we know that they've just had this experience where thousands have flocked to faith. They're obviously emboldened and empowered at this time. This is an exciting time to be a follower of Jesus. They are spirit-filled and the crippled man asked for money. Now, why do you think he asked for money? His need isn't money, right? It's obvious to anyone that his need is his injury. His need is his ailment. But he asked for money because he doesn't genuinely believe someone can deal with this problem. There is a deeper problem than money, but he goes, just, just this is all I can ask for. So would, would you just like numb me up with some money? That's all I've got right now. That's all I can handle. I can't genuinely believe I've lost the capacity to hope that something's going to be done about this. So if you can just give me a few dollars for a meal, I'm going to live my life of quiet desperation one more day at a time. And Peter and John say, no, no, no. And straight away they say, look at me. They look at him dead in the eyes. They give him the gift of personhood, of acknowledgement, of saying, I see you. And then they draw on the power of Jesus. They demand his attention and then they change his life forever. And if you're in this room and every time we talk about the Holy Spirit and you hear us talk about being Bible fed and spirit fed, you're like, I like the Bible fed side a bit more. I feel a bit more comfortable with that. That's all right. I love, I love the Word of God. But let me encourage you. The reason the spirit filled life is so important is it's not about you. The spirit-filled life is about the people that are blessed through you. If you see people filled with the Holy Spirit and the only evidence of the Spirit is they're rolling around on the ground like a maniac, but then they go outside and they abuse a parking attendant, they're not filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah, that's right, I said it. That's not the Spirit of God. That is a demonic spirit. If you can only manifest some sort of crazy thing, but the way you are living out there in no way reflects that the Spirit of God is living in you, there is a huge divide. Now, don't get me wrong. I should probably run that back a bit. There's certainly been people who have been hit with the Spirit of God and then have chosen to do nothing about it. That certainly happened. But what is meant to happen is the Spirit of God hits people and then the gifts are used in love for the people of God and a world that desperately needs it. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, when you hear love is patient, love is kind, etc., 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 all said at weddings, that is not about weddings. It is about the gifts of the Spirit to be used for the people of God. People of God. I feel like our church knows that even if others don't. Uh, The people of God using the gifts of God for the sake of one another and the world outside. That's what it's for. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't see crazy manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is that should also lead to the goodness and grace of God breaking out outside these walls to a world that needs it. Amen? All right. Good. I feel like I've run myself back from any heresy there. This man is physically healed. That's what happens. The impossible becomes possible in front of hundreds of people. This is the power that the Spirit-filled life carries. Friends, God is looking for people that He can trust with the responsibility of being filled with the Spirit, that they can steward that gift faithfully, because it is a gift and it is difficult to, who are willing to step out in power and trust God to step in, not because they want to be some spiritual superhero, but because the need is so great. If you have any friend or family member who is far from God, you know what I mean. If you have any friend or family member suffering with a disease that that is terminal, you know what I mean. The need is so great. So we need to step out in the power of God. We don't get to control how those miracles come out. We do control whether we ask. That is a tragedy if we don't do that. Here's the second point. The spirit-filled life carries a particular grace. Now, this is linked with the previous one because the hungry world 
is not just hungry for miracles and healing. I'm, I'm constantly stirred and bothered by the story of when Jesus healed 10 lepers and nine of them go away and never come back. Only one of them goes away and then comes back praising God. Nine of them get their healing and then leave. So it's never just about the physical healing. That's a sign of what's happening. The real work's happening in here as God transforms entire lives internally. A world needs to see the transformed lives of Christ followers. We need to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the world because when they do, they notice a particular grace that is on their lives. Notice in verse 5, it says, He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. This is how people should be looking to us as Christians, that they should actually look at us going, there is something about these people. This is why when a Christian does something that feels deeply hypocritical, it hits so hard. Nobody ever gets as mad at corporate leaders as they do as church leaders because people expect corporate leaders to stand for money and they expect church leaders to stand for something greater and they're right to do so. They should be holding us to a different expectation. We claim to be from a different kingdom. We claim to be part, claim to be part of a different people, God's sovereign people. We are, there's meant to be this aroma about us, like the good kind of aroma, right? You all know the difference. When, you, when somebody walks into a room, it doesn't have to be a physical smell, but there's something going on and you're like, I don't, I don't want what they're about. Or I very much want what they're about. There, there's just something that happens. We are meant to be the light of the world in that way, the salt of the earth. That is how non-Christians are meant to see us. So in Matthew 28, we hear Jesus conferring all power on his disciples, but also authority, the authority of the name of Jesus, both of these together. And this is why in Acts 4, following on from this passage, we hear the religious leaders grilling Peter and John about this miracle. And the question they ask them is, by what power or in what name have you done this? What is the source of this power? What authority do you have? And from verse 8, says this in chapter four, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, let it be known to all of you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. He doesn't claim it for himself. He says it's by the power of Jesus. Peter is filled with the Spirit and his authority comes from Jesus. And then verse 13, which I spoke about recently, says this, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realised that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognised that they had been with Jesus. I don't know if you remember that, the Greek for that we talked about, agramatos kai idiotes, unlettered idiots, uneducated fools. This is how they saw Peter and John. But these religious leaders were blown away. It says they were amazed. They were amazed by the power and authority of what? What, a couple of rabbi school's finest students? No, they were fishermen. Like John and James just dropped the nets. They didn't even like bring them on the beach. Like, jerks. No, they were following Jesus. That's a joke. But these are not the creme de la creme of scholars, right? They did not come with an Oxford postgrad degree. These are a couple of fishermen, but the highest, most educated leaders in the land are amazed. And then what does it say? They recognise that they had been with Jesus. This is meant to be how people notice us, not by what we look like, how we dress, what we do, how we speak, but the fact that we have been with Jesus. It confers a spiritual authority. There is a presence about them. You know those people because when you see them, you want to spend time with them. There are people in this room, I don't want to embarrass them, and there's a lot of you that I go, man, I, you've spent time with Jesus. 
That's, I, can, I, I just know that's the content of your character. You, you have been with Jesus. And when you spend time with him, you walk away and you're like, man, that was great. I just feel so filled, so overjoyed because this person is, is filling me with their joy because they have been with Jesus. There is a sweet smelling aroma. I walk away better because of who they are. That's how it works. That's how the spirit filled light operates. You with me? There's a clear connection between them following Jesus and then performing the miracles and using the authority of the name of Jesus. All this is linked together in one thing in this passage. This is what we long for, a non-existent gap between who we claim to be and who we really are, right? Not to be hypocrites. We're all hypocrites, okay? Let's just, let's just name it. The deal with Christians is not that we're not hypocrites. It's that we own it, we repent of it, and we're working towards a different future. We're working towards being people more like Jesus. So oh, let me be the first to announce I'm a hypocrite here, but I'm very, very aware of it, and we're working on it, amen? The friends, we're not just longing for miracles in the world. The world's longing for people who walk the walk. Authenticity, like genuine realness. Can I, can I tell you, most of us in this room are millennials, the bulk of us, and there'll be a few either side. That's, that's great. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, right? They are not interested in the show. Like, not really. Like, they'll watch the reels about the show. But when it comes down to it, what they want is an authentic experience that can't just be written off as like lights and smoke and whatever, but there's character, there's depth. In a world where nothing is true, there's a hunger to find something to hold on to. And we've got the truth, right? In Jesus, not, not like we ourselves at this church are the only people who know things. But in Jesus, we have a source of living truth. We need a boldness about that, a boldness. And this leads me to my final point here. The spirit-filled life gives glory to God. Glory to God. These are just ordinary men, just a couple of fishermen, filled with the Holy Spirit. They perform miracles. They speak with authority. But what brings this all together and proves the presence of God is the fruit, right? Listen to this, chapter, three, uh, chapter 4, verse 21. After the religious leaders threatened them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. All right, now, sometimes I stand up here and we go, and I'll say, we're giving glory to God, amen? And everyone's like, yes, amen, okay. <laughs> I know you expect that of us. Uh, but do you see what happens here? A miracle occurs and everyone else just starts giving glory to God. No one's saying, okay, now give glory to God. Go, you know, spraying them with a water pistol or something. No, it just happens. It bursts forth out of them. That's the kingdom, friends. When something so beautiful and sweet smelling is occurring that we start to give glory to God. You ever been outside on a starry night and you look up and just go, wow. You ever seen a beautiful sunset and just been struck by the beauty and glory of God and your heart sings praise to God. That is the fruit. That is the proof of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in you. That is what we are craving, not just for us to say it, but for us to do it and see the fruit coming from. So you hear the authority of Peter and John. You hear their confidence in God. You hear about the miracle of this man being healed. But above that, hear this. God used all of this to draw people nearer to him. God used all of it to invite people into that life to the fullest. I just want you to imagine this church. Imagine that you, living a life filled with the Spirit, are seeing miracles occur, and you're sensing the authority of the Spirit of God in your life. It's pretty good so far, right? You sense and see the grace of God walking, working through you. 
And then you get stopped and persecuted. And our instinctive human response is to do something like go, why God? Why? Why am I getting persecuted? Until you see that all of this has drawn others closer to God. That actually through your persecution, others have flourished in the spirit. That through your struggle, others have found life. Now, we don't want it ever to be a one-to-one because God is a multiplying God. But their desire to live spirit-filled lives saw God's name glorified across Jerusalem. And the fruit after this, at the end of chapter four, is incredible. It's a communal life where people are sharing finance, sharing food, sharing space. It's, it's, It's a place of healing of salvation, of hope and restoration. People are coming and flocking to the disciples. Shortly after this, Peter begins to walk the street and people bring the sick out to stand in his shadow just to get near Peter. This is the same Peter who every time Jesus was like, hey, Peter, I've got to go do this. Peter's like, no, Jesus, you don't. Let me tell you what's up. Like, same guy. And just a few short months later, just his shadow is healing people because of the aroma, the trail of the power and presence of God in his life. Because this is a man who again and again has been broken and said, all I have, all I need, all I yearn for is the Spirit of God filling me. I have Jesus Christ, but Jesus, fill me again. Jesus said to his disciples, guys, I've walked with you three years. Has it been good? And they're like, amazing, you're the son of God. What could be better? He's like, it's going to be better when I'm gone. And they're like, you're an idiot, son of God, sir. (laughs) They probably did because, you know, we've seen their backstories. But he's right. Because with Jesus resurrected and ascended, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. If we have the courage to use it. And my fear is that the Australian church lacks the courage. My fear is that we are just close enough to desperation, but not quite there, right? Like it's, it's saying you get to your last penny and then what you really mean is, I mean, like I've got a grand in a, in a savings account, but I don't want to touch that. That's for a rainy day. It's like, you just told me you were down to your last penny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's where I feel the Australian church is. We're not quite at the break glass in case of emergency stage. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to get there? Like, wouldn't it be nice if we voluntarily said, I'm desperate and I have the privilege of walking with some of you in this room and I know you are, (laughs) right? This is not a blanket statement. And I don't think this church is the norm. I don't think we're called to be the norm. I don't think we want to be the norm. I hope and pray that's not true. We're developing resilient, multiplying disciples of this place. People who say, all I want, all I have is Jesus. I need the Spirit of God animating me, filling me, stirring me up and pulling me forward because I need to see the world become a better place and I cannot do this on my own. This is what I believe God is calling out for you, church. The question is, are you desperate enough? Are you hungry enough? So how do we get filled with the Spirit? It's really easy. We confess our sins and Turn from them and accept Jesus as the Lord. That's the first step if you've never done that. To accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's how it begins. We all need that point. And then you simply ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And God might identify some blocks, some barriers in your life for that time. I'll get into that in a second. And then after you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you get up and live an empowered life led by the Spirit, prompted, listening to what God is saying as best as He can and trying to be obedient. 
I was doing that this morning. I don't know what was going on, but I was going for a run this morning and I started to like do this turn around. I was like, all right, God, I'm going to get to this point and turn. He's like, no, sooner. I was like, that's weird. Usually there's a bit in my body going, go on, you better go further. Don't be lazy. But God was like, no, no, sooner. I was like, Fine. I'm pretty sure it's got to start running one way. And God's like, now back. I'm like, really? We're going to do this? Turn around. And again, like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And I did that probably four times. And then he's like, okay, now you run. And I ran and I just ended up where this car was and this somebody sitting in the car. I didn't talk to them, didn't make eye contact, nothing. I don't know. I'm just trusting that the Lord was involved in that and that it wasn't just like a lack of sleep, right? Because <laughs> sometimes that's what it feels like being led by the Spirit. You're trusting that what you are hearing is the voice of God. It's not always easy to know. The more you do it, the more you get practice in it, the more certain you get. But we're trusting that God is speaking to us in that way. That's what it looks like to live filled and empowered. And then just listening, going, oh, I think I have something. When I was preaching at Journey this morning, I was praying for a guy and I just had this vision and I shared it and then I realised I hadn't quite said it properly. And I was like, hey, and I just sort of pulled him aside and said, oh, there's, there's a tweak to it, it's a picture, it's, it's not all the things, it's one thing. And he sort of went, oh, I know what that is. Like, oh, good, great, okay. God was in that one. Excellent. Nice to know. That's kind of what it's like living a life filled with the Spirit. It's animated. It's joy-filled. But I want you to know something. Peter and John didn't look at the man until he asked them for something. Now, God's face is turned towards you. You're His beloved children. He is never looking away from you. But we need to ask God for things. It's a habit that we need to get into. It's one way for God to remind us that we are dependent on Him, but that also we're not like His silver spoon inheritance kids in that way. He's like, no, 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 I've got work for you to do, my people, my church. You've got a task. Being filled with the Spirit is not that complicated. It just requires us to remove some barriers. Now, I think there's four barriers that you need to consider to live life in the Spirit. The first one would be unforgiveness. Uh, We're going to come to a time of communion shortly. You can't take communion with unforgiveness in your heart. The Bible speaks expressly against it. And we're a fairly gentle community, so we're not going to like grab everyone and demand to know if you've got unforgiveness in your heart. But what I would say is examine your hearts before you come to take communion. And if there is any unforgiveness in it, deal with that with the Lord. That's big, but it's critically important. Second one is fear. By the way, we, we forgive, God forgives us as we forgive others, the Lord's Prayer. Second one is fear. We're scared that if the Holy Spirit asks us to do something, we might actually have to do it. That's why I tried to avoid planning a church for a while. When God speaks and we do things, it tends to go pretty well, at least for the Kingdom of God. Trust in Him. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Rely on the perfect love of God, not on your fear. The third one is shame. We decide that we are too broken for God to use us. That's a pretty common one in the West. We like to beat ourselves up about things that may or may not have been our fault. And certainly we've got to make a decision now. What do we do? Do we live in shame and brokenness? Or do we receive the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? No shame for the follower of Christ. And we live life's freedom. And the final one is apathy and cynicism. That's maybe the hardest one. The older and the more comfortable we get with God, 
the more contemptuous we can get of God. The more we can go, oh, I'm going to pop God over in this corner. I'm not going to worry about Him. I don't believe that's the spirit cultivated in this church. I mean that. I mean that. I don't, I'm not trying to come down hard here. I'm just desperate that we are a church filled with people who are equally desperate for the presence of God. Apathy, that's the life of quiet desperation, right? To go like, oh, my biggest barrier is that I'm checking my watch. My biggest barrier is that I'm like, well, I've got to put a load of washing on tonight. So the washing will still be there. Like, like it really will. It'll keep piling up. But the apathy will harden your heart and make you resistant to what the Spirit is trying to say to you. Jesus so often spoke to His followers and said, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. You ever thought about what that means? Like they had ears, most of them had ears. So why couldn't they hear? They heard the words, they couldn't hear what God was trying to speak to them, to their hearts. They heard the words, but they lacked conviction. And part of that is an apathy, a cynicism, like God isn't doing this because it's unfamiliar to me. Guys, let's pray that God is doing more of the unfamiliar, transforming us. My final plea to you before we begin some ministry time, church, is simply asking you this. You've heard me say it before. What do you really want? What do you, you want? What, not what do you think I'm telling you to do? What do you genuinely want? Because if what you genuinely want is to find a nice middle-class life with a spouse and a couple of kids and a manageable mortgage, you can probably get that. And frankly, I have a lot of sympathy for it. My ideal night is a book and a glass of red and a rejected party invite. Like that's ideal for me. However, that is not how the world is transformed. And much more than the comfort of my preference, what I want is for me and my family to serve the Lord and to be filled with the Spirit in a way that transforms us and transforms the world through us. I've noticed that the more I lean into my comfort and my preferences, the worse I feel. That's not to say that once in a while that isn't lovely. But it's to say that a life of that is profoundly unsatisfying. But a life lived on the edge with God, where you are trusting that the step out there, God has you even if you can't see it. And you fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And God, the eternal Father, is calling you forward on the waters. That is the call for us tonight, church. There, I, we are on the precipice of something here. I just feel it in my spirit. That encounter is becoming a place that God wants to use to do significant things, significant things in people's spirits that if you steward them wisely, will change the world. Honestly, will change the world. Not a figure of speech. So here is my invitation to you tonight. Come, come and be filled with the Spirit of God. One last Bible verse, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Just imagine Jesus crying that out. If anyone is thirsty, come, 
imagine the desperation of Jesus who knew His mission, who knew the need more than Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm so desperate for you to catch what I'm saying. Why can't you see that life is before you? Abundance is before you. Don't fear it. Don't run away. Don't get cynical. Just come towards me. His burden is light. Streams of living water. The firm promise of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit and transform the world through your very lives. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.